All right, everyone, welcome back to the Product Growth Show. I'm Travis Kaufman, your host, and I am happy to have with us Letitia Shaw from Evernote. Uh, Letitia, you and I met, uh, oh gosh, I want to say it was months ago now. We were at a conference. <laughs> yes. And uh, we were chatting about what you do, what I do, and we're like, wait a second. Like, we're, we're both doing product growth. Yes, and, we do. Uh, I mean, we've come, each of us come in very different backgrounds, different uh, experiences. One of the things that you shared with me that was so, so interesting was your work at Walt Disney. And you were mm-hmm. in, what was it, the privacy? And uh, piracy, piracy Intelligence Group, yes. Piracy Intelligence. So mm-hmm. now, what does piracy intelligence mean? Um, piracy intelligence is a combination of multiple fields so most of what we were looking at is trying to understand consumer behaviors um, throw in some analytics market research and figure out what's our strategy to figure out how we would monetize users that might not otherwise pay us and use other methods to watch our movies. Got it. And so at the time, <laughs> there was piracy happening. Mm-hmm. You guys identified that this was an issue. And you mentioned that there was there were a many, like a, there was a barrage of people saying, here's how we need to address it. Yes. And so how did that play out? Um, I think one of the things with whenever there's a large business problem that you are looking to solve, mm-hmm. there are going to be lots of different perspectives that come to the table about yeah. how you should actually address it. As someone who is more like customer centric, one of the things that I try to do is understand why our customers or consumers doing the thing that they're doing and what's motivating them to do that thing in particular. And if you can actually follow that trend of customer needs, you can actually figure out, oh, what's the value they're getting from taking this action versus that action, Mm -hmm. which if you can tap into that value or that unmet need, that's an area where you can actually provide more value for your business. Nice. And so at the time you had, there were people more or less pirating videos, right? Mm -hmm. Disney was producing videos and and the perception was we have to stop this at all costs. Right, exactly. And actually you yes. came with a different perspective. Yes. Um, obviously it's not good for business for people to watch your download or stream and watch your movies for right. free. But I think more the question of that is why users and why why consumers were actually doing that. And you could jump to the quick answer and say, oh, it's because they're cheap and mm-hmm. they don't actually want to pay for it. But when you start to dive into it a little bit, um, you start to understand, oh, there's some things that are happening around here that we should probably learn from. One of the things that we learned when we conducted research is that, yes, it was cheaper, but mm-hmm. there are some videos that are out there that are actually decent quality so people actually don't mind watching it another thing we learned that it was also very convenient and if you think um, back to the time that we were doing this there weren't as many streaming sites that were available where you could actually pay a reasonable fee to be able to rent or actually own a movie at that point in time Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that you had mentioned before was that uh, the answer at least one of the one of the strategies that you Mm -hmm. took was you saw that users were uh, taking videos that were quote-unquote pirated and they were splicing them up in a certain way so they were watching and how they wanted to watch it, and then like mm-hmm. rebroadcasting almost yes and so one of the things that your takeaway was is that we're going to bring together you know we're going to make we're going to help facilitate that like mm-hmm. that actually is something that we could potentially monetize or make as part of a product experience right yes yeah so um and just kind of looking and watching that behavior and seeing how um it was very popular for people to create mashups, right? If you kind of look at mashups and people are taking their favorite parts of movies and putting them together in the way they want and they're sharing them with their friends, one of the things that I actually worked on was a patent where we could actually 
enable users who own movies to mm -hmm. actually be able to mash up their own movies so that they could create the, the scenes that they want. Imagine you own 10 movies of a certain franchise and you want to be able to watch them, but you don't want to spend like a whole week watching them. You can say, right. hey, I want to watch this movie in three hours and there are certain characters that I want to watch more frequently and I like certain scenes better than other scenes. I want more action, I want less drama. And that's an experience that could be personalized and customized and created. And it's something that we learn just from watching what people who are doing from downloading movies. So this is where uh, the you guys were looking at massive volumes of data. You were looking mm -hmm. beyond just the data. You were looking to see what people were trying to achieve with with you know that usage, and it actually led you to what I think is a pretty innovative idea. Um, coming from Disney, now this is moving. Now you're now into enterprise software, <laughs> right? Right. So how does how did that how did you make that leap from I'm at Disney and you know what I want to build enterprise software. <laughs> Um, I don't know that it's something that happened overnight. I think it was a series of conversations with people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think actually some of the work that I was doing at Disney was naturally leading me in that direction. Right. From when you think about when you're thinking about uh, consumer customer behaviors and how users are able to understand digital goods and find value from digital goods. That's exactly what using software is about. Mm -hmm. So what I was really thinking about is how can I be a better marketer at a software company and where could I do that? And that kind of naturally led me to think about more of the direct-to-consumer space at mm -hmm. a software company. And so Evernote, I think, is unique in that space. And I think it's trending in this direction to where historically you would have, you know, these large enterprise deployments and kind of the consumer consumerization right. of, you know, enterprise software has led to a more personalized kind of a consumer type experience. Mm -hmm. So Evernote, they have a trial experience. You can go to the mm -hmm. site, download it, try it, all without buying. And then that leads you into your work there, which is how do you it makes the experience more relevant. So mm -hmm. so what was one of the first things that you were tasked with when you joined the team at Evernote? Uh, I think the first thing that I, one of the first things that I was tasked with when I joined Evernote was to get a better understanding of our customers. So I say that from the sense of a lot of software companies think about building the product first. They don't mm -hmm. necessarily think about the customer that they're building the product for. Yeah. And that was one of the things that was fundamental about working at Disney, you always think about the guest experience. Yes. Nice. And so when it comes down to it, you were asked to like help identify what are the reasons that maybe a business user was using uh, Evernote the software. So where did you start? Like, what is the, I mean, do you get on the phone? Are you like, how do you know where to begin? Like that seems to be like for so many companies that are, they, they want to be customer centric. They want to understand their customer behavior. And then there's kind of this like big void in front of them. Like where did yeah. you, where did you start? Um, I started well, working at Evernote, I put a list of questions together yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Evernote, things that I wanted to know about our customers that I that would help me uh, make better decisions about our marketing materials. That was kind of just that was the starting point to to figure out what were the needs that were met, what were the needs that were unmet. Um, but in putting together that list, I actually started talking to a lot of people just in our company mm -hmm. um, initially to figure out because there are un there are things that were unknown to me, but I didn't realize if it was a company unknown yeah. or if it was 
um, just I didn't know because I hadn't talked to the right subject matter expert right, yet. Right. Um, so there was that piece. Then there was the other piece of, because I work at Evernote, which is a pretty well-known brand, especially here in Silicon Valley, um, there are people who use Evernote mm-hmm. or they have used it in the past and they stopped using it. And there are yeah. people who are like, I love Evernote. Oh, yeah. it's such a great thing. I remember sitting, um, working at an airport and I had an Evernote sticker and there was a gentleman that just waited for me to close my laptop and he ran up to me to tell me how much he actually loved using Evernote. And then he proceeded to tell me about a couple of features that he wanted at it, yeah, right, essentially. Yeah. So I think that I am privileged to kind of work at another brand that is recognizable where I can actually get feedback from people that I know. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, in, in my own personal experience, I no one at an airport would ever walk up to me and ask, like, oh, tell me, about, you know, I've tell got this feature right now. Oh. Right. So I mean, that I think is, again, another benefit to having uh, in your, in, Evernote's case, like you have people using the product for personal use and you mm-hmm. also have business users. Mm-hmm. Was there, um, I mean, did that segment of customer bases, like did that influence the kind of information you wanted to learn about? It did. Um, initially, there were uh, a couple of areas that I was really interested in getting information. One was kind of about just use of the product because Evernote is a product that exists across five different major platforms. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand the difference between users who are using it on large screens and small screens, and then also using it across both types of screens okay. because that would influence their um, experience. The other thing that I was really interested in understanding was just trying to just um, segment our, our customer base a little bit in mm-hmm. the sense of understanding what value are freed users getting compared to paid users versus more of the business enterprise types of users. Right. Because the problems and needs and pain points that we would be solving for those users would be different and having a better understanding of that would help us figure out what solutions would work best. Got it. So you had so you had some level of segmentation. Mm-hmm. Now help help me roll up how that translated to like a business outcome. So mm-hmm. Evernote, I mean they brought you on Leticia to have some ideas of the gains they were planning to get with your experience and your work. I mean so how was your work translating to something that business wanted to achieve? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we were trying to understand is like which products we should be putting on our roadmap. Mm-hmm. And and the other question that we were trying to solve is how do we get users to find uh, more value in Evernote to create a habit sooner? Okay. In order to know that, you need to know what, are you, what customers are doing, what are the features they find most valuable, which are the features they, they're aware of, which are the ones that they're not aware of, mm-hmm. and then which are the features that they wish worked a little bit better. Nice. And that's part of what I was working on in actually launching a Net Promoter Score NPS survey. Uh, most NPS surveys, they have a score of 1 to 10, mm-hmm. and then the user provides um, some commentary or feedback given to whether a promoter or a detractor. Um, this survey was a little bit more extensive, and we worked with a vendor to put some additional information in there for us to understand value around awareness of features um, to tie that to NPS score, okay. um, as well as tie in some performance metrics. Um, so just things that were not necessarily feature specific, but talk to me about how you view customer support. Because again, that's also part of the customer experience. Right. Um, how do you, what do you think about our community, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our community is huge um, because in order to understand exactly 
which were the areas for us to continue to build upon. We wanted to know, like, holistically, how are you viewing the Evernote brand? How are you viewing your Evernote experience? Mm-hmm. And some of that is not just related to what you're doing in product. Some of that is actually off the product as well. Get all this information back. Mm-hmm. I mean, were there, was there ever cases where the results of the survey response necessarily didn't tie back to answering a question that you asked, but maybe started you off on a different path? Yes. Definitely. So whenever I think about putting together a survey, I always think about what's the outcome or what are what's the hypothesis that we're trying to uh, test into. And when we are testing that hypothesis, I try to think about a couple ways to test it within the survey to help us triangulate to get an answer. Okay. Um, one of the things that we were looking to understand was our NPS score across different countries. We actually learned that our NPS score varied in different countries. It wasn't consistent across the board. And I say consistent across the board, meaning if our free users viewed, you know, or compare our free users to our paid user perspective, say Mm -hmm. our paid NPS was, say, 10 points higher than our free user perspective, that information wasn't consistent across the board, which is fairly interesting because you would think it's the same product, there would be the same level of perceptions. But I think what that also speaks to is that there are different needs in different countries that are met in different ways. So you found some differences. (laughs) So that's one example. And then you go, hmm. Now what do I do? You're like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Right. Like how do Let's you move look from into this. how do you move from interesting to mm-hmm. you know, I have a hypothesis, let me either validate or invalidate that. Mm-hmm. And then like are you doing up queuing up all these different ideas to uh, to introduce new experiments going forward? Mm-hmm. Or how does it how's the process evolve? In the process of looking through the data and trying to come through the hypothesis and figure out what the steps are, next steps are, the first step is actually understanding what you have to begin with. You want to understand what information you feel confident about and then Mm -hmm. the other level of information that you don't necessarily feel as confident about that you need to take another step to validate it in some other shape or form. Um, One of the areas that we were specifically looking at is what are the features that users say they find the most value? So one of the things we did as a result of that is said, okay, if these are the features that users say they find the most value, are these the features that are most commonly used in in our product, mm-hmm. and let's go ahead and let's confirm that. Okay. Because it would be really interesting to see if a user's perception is, I value this feature so much, but they never actually use it in the product. So now, that doesn't mean they don't value it. It just right. means they're not using it a lot. And again, that is an interesting finding. Yeah, I mean, exactly right. So so you take that. So the, actually, the opposite I find interesting as well, right? So if they say that they love it. Right. Or let's say they don't love it, but mm-hmm. they haven't used it. Mm-hmm. Like, can you trust that information or does that become a different path that you go operate on? So I think one of the things what we're talking about right now is yeah. how do you connect behavioral data right. from what users say? Because users say something is not always what they do, but you can almost you can think of it as more of a perception right. versus the reality or what the actions on the other side of what you see is what a user does, but you don't necessarily know why no. they're taking their particular action. Um, one of the things that we learned, which we heard about from our users in the past, but it became abundantly clear, is that users are, our users just love Web Clipper. Like Web okay. Clipper, they just love using Web Clipper. And I understand that. I love using Web Clipper myself. Wait, tell me what is Web Clipper. Okay, so Web Clipper is an integration and it's basically like screenshotting 
all of your articles, anything you kind of see. I love using on my phone the most. I actually use it when I'm reading articles mm -hmm. on the on the web. But you're just basically taking a screenshot of that entire article. You can actually highlight and take notes on it. And it'll save it automatically to Evernote. So when you want to go back and you're like, oh, man, I'm kind of wondering. Um, I know. So, for example, I'm traveling to Peru and I was saving information about my trip to Peru. And I, and I remember I saved a couple articles about different tips for traveling. And I said, okay, so travel Peru. And then all of a sudden I have the articles that I saved that were the most relevant information. So I didn't necessarily need to go through all of that information right. at that point in time, but it's available to me when I need it. So it. I'm giving an example of something that's just, it saves a ton of time. Yeah. So we found out Web Clipper was just like killer feature. Okay. Users love Web Clipper, but we found out um, we have opportunities to talk about Web Clipper more. <laughs> I see. So you, this is a scenario where you, the qualitative feedback comes back, says yeah. we love this. Yes. And then you look at usage and you say, well, not everyone is using it the way they could. Mm -hmm. Like that became an opportunity mm -hmm. for you. Yes. So how did that translate to the actions that you and your team took? And then how did you measure the impact of those activities? Yeah, so one of the things, I guess we're getting into growth territory now. You, This is exactly right, yeah. <laughs> we're getting exactly into growth right. territory. Well, one of the things that we do on the growth team is when we have a hypothesis, we are enabled to go and test it. And we actually see how it actually performs, which mm -hmm. is kind of fantastic. So one of the things that our team is looking at is how do we get Web Clipper more, um, how do we put Web Clipper in a more prominent placement in front of users so that they understand that this feature is available and some of the use cases around mm -hmm. it? And this, so that once you have, um, I mean, you have the hypothesis, you run an experiment, you look at the mm -hmm. discoverability of that feature set. Now, how are you measuring that to say business impact outcome? Yes. So when we're developing experiments, one of the important things is how do we measure business impact? Yep. We actually have a homegrown experiment service that we use. And whenever we are setting up an experiment with a hypothesis, we actually define what that metric is that we are tasked with moving, whether it's um, a monetization metric or it's an engagement metric or an activation metric. We have that defined in advance. Nice. Another thing that we do is we look at uh, the potential outcomes of the experiment in advance to figure out, depending on if A wins, this is what we'll do. If B right. wins, this is what we'll do. Okay. And how many experiments would you say you run on a maybe a monthly basis? Oodles? Oodles. Tons? Um, it, it, I'd say it's somewhere between 15 to 30. Wow, that's great. When you with different experiments, mm -hmm. you have your product is on mobile, you have it on desktop, mm -hmm. you've got web applications. Mm -hmm. How do you know where to isolate a given test? So <laughs> it's an interesting question to figure out where to isolate a given test for mm -hmm. a growth experiment because you're right, there are different factors for us to consider. One of the things that we've developed within our team is prioritization criteria, mm -hmm. um, not just to understand the prioritization for what I would say is the focus area of the experiment and the impact that it would provide and the confidence that we think we were able to actually move the metric and the level of effort that it would take to actually make that experiment happen. Uh -huh. But we also have criteria that we look at to help us understand how do we organize our backlog? Okay. Um, because there are other considerations that we take into account. For example, how often is 
when's the next release occurring? Because mm -hmm. we want to catch the release train. Yeah. Um, another question that we have is how many experiments do we already have on that surface? Because we're concerned about different collisions that might occur um, oh, if we have too many experiments, overlapping experiments that are running. Yeah. Um, another thing that we think about is what's the cost of delaying this experiment? If we don't run this now, if it's experiment, because Evernote is like a weekly, like a habitual type of a product, mm -hmm. we need several weeks to get a good read um, for users to come back and use the product. Um, if we don't ship this in X amount of time, then how long is that going to delay our ability to make a decision um, on the outcomes of this experiment? Okay. And the reason that's important is because when we set up our experiments, it's not just usually an A-B test and we're done. Usually we're trying to put together a body of work that starts with a hypothesis mm -hmm. and there are two or three experiments to actually get to the point where you're moving the metric in a meaningful manner. Got it. So it's it actually takes time to get there, and that's actually part of the consideration when we're deciding what which platform we want to use to run experiments. Um, certain platforms we use because we can test on them faster, so we'll leverage learnings. Okay. Other um, times we'll decide to use a different platform because there are more users of a particular type, and we want a better reading for that particular user. Nice, that's great. So one um, one of the things that our audience I think will find interesting is how do I start with product growth, right? You <laughs> have hypotheses, you have measurement needs, you have, I mean, you have the the um, usage of surveys to get information mm -hmm. back to know where to start and then validating that with kind of what you see customers doing. I mean, what would be a one takeaway that you would say, here's how you potentially get started with using your product and knowing where to test hypotheses? Be curious. Yeah. Um, just be curious. Uh, I think that's one of the things that makes a good growth person. They're curious and they're willing to test the boundaries. And they're also very customer oriented, but also very much impact driven. Mm -hmm. So from that sense, you're right. There is a piece of discovery where you're trying to understand where the opportunities are and you're you're looking in the product to figure out what is it that we can do better. And sometimes it's an optimization where you're T testing out changing out a screen or changing out a CTA mm -hmm. or changing out headlines or colors. And sometimes um, the local optimization is not the best path. You want to go with more of a global optimization where you say, okay, well, we got to rip this out and we've got to do a totally different flow because we think that's going to be create a much better experience for our users. That's great. So, Leticia, I've got one final question for you. Um, we mentioned a lot of different ideas that correspond to like different disciplines, right? So you've got things you're talking about about marketing and market research. You have got product development, things you're altering mm -hmm. in the product. You have uh, business impact and very performant type drivers that you're looking to do. Like, tell me how you see uh, organizations, specifically enterprise organizations, how do you see them evolving to take advantage of a lot of these growth techniques you're talking about? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, I often sometimes um, people talk to me and they'll say, oh, you're a product marketer. And then some people will come up to me and say, oh, no, you're, you're a product manager, mm -hmm. you're a PM. I say I'm all of that, honestly. I think the best way for organizations to take advantage of growth in the future is that there will be people who can think with different parts of their brain so that they understand not just how to work with different parts of the organization and product and marketing and biz ops and analytics mm -hmm. and design and dev. Like that's 
that's one part of it, but they can also think with those parts of their brain because when you're tackling a tough business challenge, you don't necessarily want to be limited by using a hammer and a nail every single time. Yeah. You want to be able to solve the problem with the best tools that are available. So if you need to take out a screwdriver, then take out a screwdriver and solve it. If it needs a mallet and not a hammer, yeah. then take out the mallet and make it happen. That's perfect. Leticia, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So if you enjoyed today's episode, I suggest you subscribe below and also leave any comments you have about the subject that we talked about today and also stay tuned for future broadcasts.